AEW president Tony Khan has given us the early numbers for All Out thus far. And thus far, it has already smashed all pay-per-view records set prior by the young upstart wrestling promotion. I'm going to unpack that one in the news section tonight. I've got some good stats that put this all into perspective. Al Snow is a real-life hero saving a young child from drowning in the ocean. I've got some WWE 2K22 news involving the return of a mode we've been asking for for a minute. Plus, I've got some details on Brian Danielson's AEW contract. The wrestler of the week this week is none other than Flying Brian Pillman. The father of Brian Pillman Jr. who did it big on Rampage last Friday. And stick around to the end of this episode for a tremendous story. I'm one of the pioneers of the Attitude Era in the WWF. I've got your AEW Rampage review, your new Highlight Reel rankings, and more on the Highlight Reel. Let's get it. I'm late. I meant to have this episode ready to go Saturday as has been tradition after Rampage, but unfortunately life happens. <laughs> what can I say? You know, more specifically in this case, work happens. You know, I volunteered to help out for a light route. Uh, I was promised a light route. That's actually what uh, prompted me to t accept it. My dispatcher called me, oh, we got a light route for you. <laughs> so I figured... Um, I'd be able to go to work, come home, produce this episode for the pod. But alas, that light route turned into, uh, let's just say, the opposite <laughs> of a light route. So it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> I got to pay the bills. I can't complain. I'm happy to be employed during this crazy time that we're living in. You know what I'm saying? With uh, COVID-19, you know, the Spanish flu part two. Um the the pandemic that seemingly will never come to an end i don't know hopefully it does um there's been a lot of happenings in the professional wrestling world though that's been helping to keep us at ease keep our minds off of current events and no matter how crazy things have gotten we've still maintained our passion for professional wrestling i know i have aew has completely stole me as far as being a well, being a wannabe like journalist over here you know what i'm saying keeping up to date with wwe and all of pro wrestling as a whole i tried to when i first started this podcast two years ago i intended to cover both uh wwe and AEW. um but alas uh i i just couldn't stomach wwe programming you know and i don't want to turn this into like a AEW versus WWE kind of deal because it's not you know as I said in in the prior episode and other episodes before I'm still a WWE fan guys I'm still a WWE fan but I just cannot sit through their freaking programming right now I can't do it and I've tried I've tried it, it's been a while <laughs> it's been a while since I've tried but Especially Monday Night Raw. Now, SmackDown, I've actually given some thought into maybe watching SmackDown consistently again every Friday. I mean, it, it precedes uh, Rampage. 
you know what I mean? So it's doable, I guess, but it's just, again, just the idea of sitting through three hours, you know what I mean? Like, just, I don't know, I just feel like I could do something much more productive in three hours, you know what I mean? I, I'm willing to devote, and, and no disrespect to anybody out there, you know what I mean, who watches SmackDown and Rampage and Monday Night Raw and Dynamite and whatever else, you know, more power to you. I commend you. I I, I want to be you when I grow up. If I had that kind of time and that kind of attention span, I mean, really, like smartphones and social media and all the things that we have today, I've noticed more and more recently that I myself, just speaking for me, not speaking for anybody else, but just speaking for me, I find it a lot harder now to actually sit through movies and TV shows like I used to growing up. I mean, that's a favorite pastime of mine since I was a little ass kid. I remember being a little kid and waking up early in the morning and firing up my my VHS tapes <laughs> of all the Disney movies that I had. Um, yeah, I'm that old. I had VHS tapes growing up. Yes, I had to actually rewind them before I could even watch the movie. And sometimes you had to lift up the little tab and <laughs> like fix the film. Because it'd be a little like mess, like coming off the side of the rollers. Really ancient technology. Let me tell you, it's amazing how fast technology has progressed in these last uh, few decades. But really, um, I find it harder for me to pay attention, to have an attention span, to sit through entire movies. And even movies that I grew up loving. Um, I'll tell you right now, my favorite movie of all time is probably a tie between Stefan Sommers' The Mummy that came out in 1999 starring Brandon Fraser, Rachel Weisz, not the new Gabbage that came out with Tom Cruise, um, the OG Mummy and the Spider-Man movie, the OG Spider-Man, Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire is Peter Parker, I don't, I don't, I, I don't care about any of the new Spider-Man stuff. You know what I'm saying? Kirsten Dunst is Mary Jane and Tobey Maguire is Peter Parker. In my eyes, I don't think that'll ever change. Those are my favorite movies of all time. And even those movies, I cannot sit through the whole thing and like pay attention. And what I'm, I'm going to inevitably glance at my phone, even if I put it on silent. And so it's not bombarding me with the buzzing of notifications and all the different, you know, all that jazz that we get, right? And that's becoming a problem because I don't want to be that way. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be that way. And it's sad that that's becoming the normal, normal, you know, with everybody, not just me. I mean, I, I've, you know, talked to my girlfriend about that and some friends of mine, and they all tell me the same thing, that it's, it's very difficult to actually not look at your phone when you're trying to watch a movie or anything. So, I mean, anybody out there that could sit through Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and Rampage and Dynamite and MLW Fusion and ROH and Impact Wrestling, whatever channel it comes on these days, <laughs> I commend you guys, you know. It's not to say that you, I'm sure you probably still glance at your phones as well, but I, I, I'd be willing to bet you probably pay a lot more attention than I could if I were to attempt to sit through all of that, that content. It's insane. Nonetheless, yeah, Rampage popped off Friday. I meant to have this review up Saturday, yesterday. Uh, could not do it. Andrade, bastard pack. What can I say? 
We all knew this was gonna be a match for the ages on Rampage. As far as Rampage is concerned, this is probably the best match Rampage has ever had. It's up there with Christian Cage and Kenny Omega. Um, just some of the stuff that Andrade did in this match. I'm gonna get to it. Um, the women's trios match was featured as well in the middle of the show. We had Britt Baker and her goons, Jamie Hayter and Rebel, taking on Riho. Riho <laughs> and uh, Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander. What a what a odd pairing that is. What an odd trio. You know what I'm saying? In the main event, Brian Pillman Jr. shines bright, taking on Max Casher. We're gonna run it down in a minute, and I gotta tell y'all, you need to stick around to this whole episode uh, because I got the story of Brian Pillman Jr.'s father of the same name, Brian Pillman. Um, he is. A tremendous wrestler of back in the day who passed away way too soon and he's one of the biggest what ifs in wrestling right you know we always talk about what, what would eddie guerrero be doing right now if he was still alive what would um oh so and so be doing and how this would happen that would happen well brian pillman i can't help but to wonder you know what i'm saying certainly i'm sure he'd be proud of his boy main eventing rampage um, so let's get into the highlight reel rankings. What are the highlight reel rankings, Lalo? You got all these different segments on your podcast. You're trying too hard, bro. <laughs> Tell me what is highlight reel rankings while well, these are not the five best wrestlers in the world today, although that is taken into consideration. However, the highlight reel rankings, this is very specifically aimed at lapsed fans or people who might not know too much about wrestling and they're trying to get into it and they don't know where to start. Well, these are the five acts right now in wrestling that I highly recommend you pay attention to because for one reason or another, they might have just the hottest angle right now, the hottest storyline. They might be having a match coming up with somebody that's going to be a good match, etc. So at number five, CM Punk. And of course... He's going to be on my highlight reel rankings for a while as this love fest, quote unquote, as Taz, <laughs> Taz brought it up. Very entertaining, entertaining exchange there by Taz and Punk. CM Punk made his grand return to professional wrestling, debuting at Rampage, the show we're going to talk about today on its on its second edition titled the first dance and he had his first match with one darby allen the mega star the kid has the most upside there is it's exciting it's almost unreal at this point i mean this kid it ain't no telling you know how big of a star he's truly gonna become because he's still just getting started and CM Punk, he looks to be engaged now in a feud with Team Taz. Now, this is exciting because one, it should be able to produce some excellent matches between Punk, Ricky Starks, Bri oh, well, not Brian Cage, but Will Hobbs. And that interaction with Hook and Taz and Punk. And I, I can't wait to see more exchanges on the microphone between said Taz and CM Punk. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. The human suplex machine, the OG Taz, he's one of the few in the game who can probably go toe-to-toe -to -toe on the mic with Punk. He's, he's just an excellent commentator, an excellent manager, an excellent mouthpiece. He's excellent at everything he does. I can't even eloquently state how high I am on Taz. <laughs> like, damn, bro, you in love or what? <laughs> nah, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. CM Punk and Ricky Starks on the mic as well. 
And I've heard a lot of comparisons of Ricky Starks to The Rock. That I don't see. But maybe this kid will show me something in a coming out party of sorts against CM Punk. At number four, for the first time ever on the Highlight Reel rankings, I'm having a tag team included on this list. None other than the Lucha Bros. The brand new AEW Tag Team Champs. The most prestigious tag team title belts in the business today, bar none. Because I don't think, quite frankly, I don't think there is another wrestling organization out there that has a tag team division as stacked as AEW's. I mean, let's run it. We got Lucha Bros, the champs. Easily one of the most entertaining freaking wrestlers there is. And, and, and I'm talking about individually, Pentagon and Phoenix. Individually, they're entertaining as hell. But then you put them together, that's double the fun. We got FTR, old school tag team tradition in their repertoire. You know what I'm saying? We got the Varsity Blondes rising up the ranks. You've seen them get that love last Friday, at least on the part of Brian Pillman Jr. taking on one half of the acclaimed. Another young, hungry, awesome tag team in the making. And I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing with Max Caster and Anthony Bowens. And I cannot wait to see those cats rise up the ladder. And so much more. I mean, the Good Brothers... You know what I'm saying? I suppose the Butcher and the Blade have to be considered the Young Bucks. Um, I mean, it, the sky's the limit with tag team wrestling in AEW. And Lucha Bros ain't no telling exactly where they're going next. We've seen some hint of it in this episode of Rampage, which I'm going to get into. But I'm telling you right now, Pentagon oozes with charisma. And Ray Phoenix has got to be one of the best wrestlers in the world today. And number three, Adam Cole, Bay Bay. Every time he does that Adam Cole, Bay Bay shtick, it's thunderous. In any arena they're in, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's it's not a single soul in that arena is staying quiet when Adam Cole does that. And this guy, you know what? I got to admit something. I got to call myself out because on this very podcast, for. Many different episodes prior, I was saying during the rumors, during the build-up to the rumors that Adam Cole might be a free agent soon and might be jumping ship to AEW, I put my foot in my mouth because I was saying that Adam Cole, in my eyes, is one of the talents that AEW should perhaps let pass by. Pass him by. Just skip him. Because the roster's already stacked. They don't need Adam Cole. So they, they shouldn't even sign this guy. They shouldn't. Let him go to ROH. Let him go to Impact. Let him go wherever. But AEW has too many guys on there. Well, I was wrong. I was putting my foot in my mouth. This this dude is a stud, man. You know, and that was a big misfire on my part. See, I'm not one of them podcasters out there. You know what I'm saying? Who can, you know, you know... Make mistakes and say things and then not admit that they were wrong about it. You know what I'm saying? This is the highlight reel. It's your boy Lalo. I keep it real deal. Holy field. I don't pull no put a holy field. Damn, he got his ass whooped, by the way. <laughs> Peter Belfort. Oh my god. That was 
I, I shouldn't even laugh because it's a disgrace what they're doing to the sport of boxing. I know in the highlight reel, I used to do boxing episodes as well. Um, I haven't done them. I don't know if I will ever continue to do boxing again. So I'll just plug it now briefly going off on a tangent. I think it's an absolute disgrace what they're doing to the sport of boxing, man. You got Jake Paul and Logan Paul fighting all these these MMA bums. And then they put Evander Holyfield, senior citizen in there with a much younger, much clearly stronger MMA guy and Vitor Belfort. And now granted, it was supposed to, I mean, he was filling in for Oscar de la Hoya who contracted COVID. So he had to pull out. So Foreman was a last minute replacement. So it's not entirely their fault, I guess, in that regard. Holyfield signed up for it. He knew what he was signing up for. But it is absolutely a disgrace that they're doing this to boxing, man. They're making the sport into a joke. They're absolutely... I, I don't want to say killing it because it is getting a lot of views. For I mean, for what it's worth. But I, it's making me sick to my stomach. But nonetheless, Adam Cole, man. I was wrong about him. When I said AEW should pass him up. And it's going to be so interesting to see him compete in his very first match this Wednesday on Dynamite against the elite hunter Frankie Kazarian. And you know, I was going to rag on that match originally because they put Frankie Kazarian as Christian's first opponent. You know what I'm saying? When Christian first came on board. And of course, Christian went over. So I'm looking at it like... Well, for one, they're making Kazarian like a jobber, which is kind of messed up. And then for two, it's predictable that Cole's going to go over. What, what, why do we, you know, it, it's, I mean, I guess the only reason to watch this match is to see what Cole can do. And I get that. But I'm just saying, it just seems way too linear that they're having Kazarian be the guy that gets these new guys' feet wet, seemingly. But... It should be a good match, so I can't even hate on it. <laughs> it should be a good match at the end of the day. So what am I complaining about? And either way, Adam Cole is in the game. And um, it's going to be exciting to see where he goes. Kenny Omega at number two. PWI 500. Number one best wrestler in the world, of course. Highlight reel, Lalo told you. Kenny Omega is... The best wrestler in the world, bar none. And he's proved it time and time again. And what's most exciting is he appears to be uh, in a rivalry with the number one ranked of the highlight reel rankings, the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. And of course, he's number one on this list. And Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega, that's all you need. That's it. Fiend. That's the, that's the chef's kiss. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. If there was ever a, a a match that you have to choose to be the last match you ever watch or that you ever could watch for the rest of your life, it's Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. That's it. Well, either that or the Lucha Bros Young Bucks cage match. <laughs> Let me tell you. But um, this should be an insane matchup. I don't know how. I don't know when. But it does appear that at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City, they're going to have some kind of confrontation there. It remains to be seen. I don't think it'll be a singles match. I think it'll be probably a, a elimination match, the same way the Elite did with Kenny. Uh, excuse me, with Adam Page in the Dark Order, which would then write Adam Page off or write him out of the title picture at that time when he was white hot. Um, 
it would be known now that Adam Page was in the process of having a child. So it's understandable. He's, he's taking some time off, but it's going to be huge whenever he does come back nonetheless. So Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega is going to go down, y'all. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and jump into the Rampage review. So there was not a single second of time wasted when it comes to Andrade versus the Bastard Pack. As the show goes on air, Andrade and Pack are already in the ring, ready to do their business. And it was an amazing match, what can I say? And, and, and really, it kills me to think what they could have done at All Out. I mean, I, I feel like they would have put on an even bigger extravaganza on pay-per-view. It's always different on pay-per-view. You've seen it yourself with Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage. They already had a match on, on Rampage, right? On the debut episode, very first match, inaugural match. But then at All Out, they hit the match a little bit to second gear. You know, there was a table spot and whatnot. But nonetheless... Instead of describing this whole match, I'm the only spot I really want to talk about is how Andrade did this freaking insane corkscrew move where Pac was outside. Andrade would actually hit the ropes and then jump off the second freaking rope in the corner. He did what looked to be a regular crossbody dive of sorts, but in midair, Andrade did the corkscrew spin in midair, okay? And with the quickness, too. I have never seen anything like that. I really haven't. I mean, that is the epitome of next level athleticism. When a guy, he's jumping and falling onto his opponent, right? Because that's physics. <laughs> you jump, you're going to go down, right? But before he goes down, within seconds, he spins his body while he's in the freaking air. He spinned his body and did that corkscrew and landed. He landed on his feet as well, by the way. That is so impressive, man. He he knocked Pac down, landing on him, landing on his feet, jumped over Pac. I mean, absolutely incredible. I, I don't I don't know anyone else that could do that. You seldom ever see athleticism like that. I mean, maybe Kofi Kingston, maybe, could pull something like that off. But holy shit, I was floored, man. I was absolutely floored by that spot. That's just next level athleticism there. And actually, one other spot I do want to touch on as well is on the outside of the ring, the bastard pack would Irish whip Andrade into the barricade. And at the impact of Andrade hitting the barricade, he actually knocked over a little kid. And Andrade broke character at this moment to check on the kid. I'm surprised this was, this was shown. But yeah, he said sorry. He apparently patted the kid on the shoulder. The kid would pat Andrade back as if to say, it's okay, I'm fine. Uh, and incidentally, <laughs> good guy Andrade here, he would reach out to this kid on Twitter. He once again apologized and offered to send him a t-shirt. The dad of the kid would then chime in and tell Andrade that he has nothing to be sorry about. Um, he, his son loved every minute of it and he will remember all of this for the rest of his life. So that's a nice, that's a nice little moment there, huh? That's a nice little touch, a nice little exchange. Um, I guess it's time for Andrade to turn face. <laughs> How can you hate the guy now? You know, it was already hard when you see the when you see these kind of matches, but then add to it now this little, you know, gushy moment here. 
Um, but whatever, ultimately Andrade would win the match through Chavo Guerrero shenanigans as Chavo struck Pac with what looked like an iPad, uh, unbeknownst to Andrade, who either way capitalized on the cheap win. Um, this was not good. This finish really, I mean, I'm not going to say it ruined the match because the match was way too good to be ruined by any little thing like that. But it just, I mean, I, I had to watch it back because I didn't even notice that Chavo had anything in his hand when he struck, uh, Pac, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, um, nonetheless, in the post-match, Andrade would turn on Chavo Guerrero Decking him with his chiseled forearm, sending him crashing down on the ramp. And I absolutely did not like this at all. Not just because they're they're doing my boy dirty, man. Chavito, he he don't deserve that. <laughs> but more so, more importantly though, I just feel like this is kind of ridiculous at this point. I mean, Andrade goes through Vicky Guerrero. He goes through that translator guy. And now he's with Chavo, and I thought this was promising, and he turns on Chavo. I think it's too soon. I understand the rumor and innuendo going around. I know I sound like Conrad Thompson, right? <laughs> the rumor and innuendo. Nah, I, I get it. Ric Flair is slated to come to AEW. It ain't no secret. You know what I'm saying? This is like CM Punk all over again, right? We all knew CM Punk was coming. Come on now. All you skeptics out there are clowns. Y'all knew too. You just you just wanted to hate on the moment because, you know, that's just the kind of person you, <laughs> you are. It ain't that serious, bro. <laughs> nah, but uh, <clears throat> we all know Ric Flair's coming and it makes the most sense for him to be in Andrade's corner. That is his son-in-law, right? Or it will be. I mean, I, I don't I don't think Andrade and Charlotte have tied the knot quite yet, but I know they're engaged for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But I, I feel like they didn't have to have Andrade turn on Chavo this quickly, though. I think, I mean, the way I would have done it, let's play Fantasy Booker again. We do this frequently on this podcast. I'm going to play Fantasy Booker the way I would have done it. I would have brought in Ric Flair and I would have had him join the little crew with Chavo and Andrade. But along the way, Chavo gets jealous of Ric Flair's, you know, relationship with his son-in-law. You know, and he starts getting, Ric Flair starts getting all the praise, all the adoration. While Chavo is, you know, making the money moves, trying to get Andrade, you know what I'm saying, to the gold, to the strap, to the top title in the company. And there's dissension in the ranks. Chavo and Flair start butting heads and they could have turned on him. At, at some point on an episode of Dynamite or Rampage or at a pay-per-view, whatever. But they should have kept Chavo on board for a little while longer. I, th I feel like this was way too soon. They jumped the gun here. And for a company that prides itself off of long-term storytelling, I feel like this was a misstep. Big time. You know, I was really beginning to dig this unit of Chavo and Andrade together. They look good together. It looks like a natural fitting. I mean... I don't understand this decision at all. And there's no way they could rectify this now. I mean, unless they really turn Chavito into a little bitch boy and, you know, have him apologize to Andrade. Uh, I mean, I guess, so the narrative that we're seeing here is that Andrade was upset at Chavo for ruining a good match. And, he, and Andrade wanted to win fair and square, I guess, even though he's supposed to be a heel, a bad guy. 
you know, but he still has too much pride. His ego won't allow him to win a match with shenanigans. So thus, when he found out how he nabbed the W, he got pissed off. And that's why he, you know, decked Chavo. So, I mean, hey, maybe they didn't break up. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the one jumping to conclusions here. Perhaps Chavo, you know, apologizes on the next, on Dynamite this Wednesday, you know, and is like, oh, I'm sorry and blah, blah, blah. And they, they patch things up. Maybe. Um, I think I still I think it was I think it was a mistake either way to have Andrade put hands on Chavo like that and it, it just it just makes Chavo look look weak look very weak you know what I mean um, in my opinion so we'll see what happens maybe I'm jumping the gun maybe they're not actually broken up as a unit yet We'll see what happens. Nonetheless, we get a women's trios match as Britt Baker and her goons, Jamie Hayter and Rebel, take on the random thrown together alliance of Chris Statlander, Ruby Soho, and Riho. <laughs> I will say, Ruby Soho looked a lot better in this matchup than she did against Jamie one on one on the episode of Dynamite prior. Um, <clears throat> in my opinion, anyway. And Jamie Hayter actually looked quite strong in this match as well against Riho. But then again, how can anyone not look strong against Riho? You know, she looks like an underage kid, man. That probably weighs like 60 pounds, tops. Um, nonetheless, Statlander would also shine once again, showing off her raw strength, executing a nice double suplex on Rebel and Hayter in the mid part of the, of the match. Britt Baker got very little action in this match, as it should be, I suppose, with her being the champ and Statlander and Ruby both gunning for her championship. In the end, it would be Rebel who ate the pin from the runaway Ruby Soho. So I stick to my guns, and I know it's a minority opinion, but I stick to my guns that Ruby Soho still has to show me something. You know, as of right now, I still don't see her as a worthy opponent for Britt Baker. And I, I feel that way because Britt Baker is just miles ahead of everyone in the women's division. And I will say this, I was very impressed by Chris Statlander's performance against Britt Baker at All Out. So in my personal opinion, I would like to see Chris Statlander continue feuding with Britt Baker for the title. Of course, that's not going to happen because now they have Ruby Soho who won the women's casino battle royale. And thus she is entitled to her championship matchup which i'm i'm guessing is gonna be at arthur ash or or it's gonna be at full gear one or the other um there's no way it's gonna be at any run-of-the-mill episode of dynamite or rampage you know leading up to those big events coming up um so yeah again i i hope ruby soho shows me something though in the coming weeks you know i hope she I don't know, does something cool, does something different, we'll see what happens. Brian Pillman Jr. takes on Max Caster in the main event. It was a real old school type of match, both guys got in their stuff. Of course, I'ma cut right to the chase here, the Cincinnati hometown hero takes the victory, defeating Max Caster with a springboard clothesline for the win. And you know, it's very interesting to see AEW pulling the trigger on what looks to be a Brian Pillman push of some sort because I'm pretty sure he's going to be taking on MJF. I mean, after MJF roasted his whole family, my goodness. 
I, 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 I'm, I'm still blown away by that promo, and, and even more so, just blown away by how much MJF is, is able to get away with. That kid is, he's a next level heel, but more so, he's, he really kind of crosses the line, but gets away with it. And I guess that's because he's so promising. I don't know, because I mean. Maybe I'm tripping, but to me, I just can't see anyone else getting away <laughs> with the kind of stuff that MJF has said. I mean, we're talking about, you know, calling. Uh... <laughs> I can't even say it. I'm already laughing before I could make the sentence. But MJF calling her Methany, you know, um, <clears throat> Brian Pillman's mom, yo, calling her Methany and, and telling him that she should have swallowed him. <laughs> And I mean, it's it's just it's just wild, man. I don't know. Maybe I'm just I'm so used to WWE style of promos and how it's so wishy washy and cookie cutter and linear, and you don't expect to hear anything drastic on those shows. Certainly nothing like Methany or you know your mom should have swallowed you and stuff like that. You ain't never gonna hear on WWE programming, um, <clears throat> not in 2021. But nonetheless, um, yeah, so Brian Pillman Jr., man, he's getting a little time in the sun. And that's very nice. It's nice to see how AEW treats their talents. What a, what a difference, huh? You know, you see a guy like Karrion Cross look like an absolute badass in NXT, you know, with his lady by his side, who is also a stunning, stunning talent um, in Scarlet. And, you know... He gets called to the main roster and now he looks like Master Shredder. He looks like he's in a Halloween costume that he bought at the 99 cent store, bro. <laughs> and where is Scarlet? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I guess they have her at the Performance Center because they just want to make her into a wrestler. But she was perfect as his valet and I digress. Nonetheless, yeah, man. Brian Pillman Jr. in a feel-good moment in his hometown. Um, and you stick around, guys, later on in the pod after the news section, which I got coming up. I'm going to delve into his father, Brian Pillman, as he is the wrestler of the week for this week. Uh, nonetheless, you know what? Let's go ahead and cut to the news right off the bat. So Brian Pillman Jr. Well, actually, I want to say Rampage. It was a solid show. It was a solid show. Really, the Andrade Pack match is the, the only thing that really makes it uh, a decent episode this week, this past week. Because um, other than that, eh, the trios match fell a little flat in spite of the fact that Ruby did look a little bit better in there. Jamie Hayter looked a little stronger there. And I mean, the main event, to be honest, it was a feel-good moment as far as the hometown kid getting a look. But Brian Pillman versus Max Caster ain't putting no butts in the seats. Not yet. They have a. They both individually have bright futures. Max Caster has really grown on me, and I can't wait to see more from him and the acclaimed Anthony Bowens. Excellent duo. There's so much chemistry and their mic work. Second to none right now in AEW in the tag division, certainly. But Rampage was a decent episode. Nothing to write home about besides that crazy opening matchup. Um, so that's my overall take on Rampage. Now let's get to the news, baby. Brian Pillman Jr.'s sister, Brittany, went into labor the same night that MJF ripped her to shreds. Pillman Jr. would post on Instagram, or on Twitter rather, saying, quote-unquote, in a bizarre turn of events, 
the encounter between my pregnant sister and Maxwell Jacob Friedman send my, sent my sister into contractions late last night. She is expected to have a baby today or tomorrow. My nephew is about to have the same birthday as me. Surreal week. Brittany would give birth, incidentally, yesterday to Asher William Evans. Now, <laughs> MJF, <laughs> he would... uh. He would actually re reply to this tweet um, saying something along the lines of I I, I, dest I destroy, I dismantled this, this whole inbred family so much so that even a fetus wants to run away from it. This something, something along those lines. I really wasn't going to talk about it because it's just come on, bro. Like, I get it. You got to be in character. You know, MJF is an old school heel that wants to be in character 24-7. But come on, bro. Let, let's, let's, let, you, you already, you know, you're beating a dead horse here. You already demolished the whole family on the mic. I mean, come on, man. Let them have their moment. And, and Brian Pillman Jr. did not even respond to that. And, you know, that was one of the major flaws of AEW Dynamite. Uh, that whole segment, you know, with... Pillman trying to come at MJF and Wardlow getting in the way and stuff. You know, I, I listened to the Busted Open radio show and, and Bully Ray had like the exact same take that I had. Like he literally said the same exact thing that I said. He was like that, that, that whole segment, it was good for the most part, but they kind of missed. They, they kind of dropped the ball a little bit on uh, on the part of Brian Pillman confronting them. Because, I mean, real talk, you know, no matter, you know, it's like if somebody talks to me like that and insults my family like that, even if this guy could whoop my ass completely, I don't care the amount of rage that I'm going to have for being disrespected like that and seeing and hearing my family being disrespected like that. I don't care if Wardlow is in the way. I'm going to gouge his fucking eyes. I'm going to kick him in the balls, gouge his eyes, pull his fucking hair, his man bun. Do whatever I can to get him out the way so I could put my hands on MJF and try to kill him. You know what I mean? And that's they missed the ball with that because Brian Pillman looked like a little wimp. You know, he Wardlow got in the way and Brian Pillman just stood there. And then... To make matters worse, when MJF says, you know what, Wardlow, go stand in the corner and, and look pretty. And then Wardlow walks out of the way, and Brian Pillman is still just standing there. You know what I mean? He comes out on the Titan Tron talking about, oh, welcome to the jungle and this and that. But come on, bro. He just insulted your moms, your sister. I mean, in the worst way. You know, calling your mom a druggie on national TV. <laughs> I mean, I've already... I already went into detail on that old segment, but I just had to bring that up again because I was I was uh, happy to see that like Bully Ray had the exact same take that I had, and I'm sure most people probably thought the same thing because that that's just that was a ridiculous moment right there. They really kind of dropped the ball. I mean, it's hard to to rate that segment poorly just because MJF. Oh my God, this this dude is an insane heel, bro. Um, so it, it's hard to say anything negative toward him in an act that he's a part of but on the part of brian pillman it just it, it looks silly man like he he looked like a little bitch boy in a way um but nonetheless 
Tony Khan reveals early AEW all-out pay-per-view buys. He would appear on the aforementioned busted open radio show, quickly becoming a routine appearance uh, at this point, uh, where he said that all-out brought in, quote-unquote, well over 200,000 pay-per-view buys. Now, keep in mind that these are just early figures, okay? This is not the final calculation. As of this recording... All-out pay-per-view buy figures are still being factored in from the various pay-per-view providers. This this shit takes time, people, you know? And and it will make the early aforementioned 200,000 numbers increase significantly when all of these pay-per-view providers provide the stats. So let's put this in a perspective here. As of right now, the highest-grossing AEW pay-per-view is AEW Revolution 2021, which brought in 135,000 pay-per-view buys. So this is a significant increase in pay-per-view buy rate. As well as we know now, AEW Dynamite fall episode of the aforementioned all-out pay-per-view drew 1.3 million viewers. So the Dynamite episode drew 1.3 million viewers, beating out Monday Night Raw in the key demographics. Now, the only reason I bring that up, that they beat Raw in the key demo, is because this is all to illustrate how much of a game changer that CM Punk, Adam Cole, and Brian Danielson are for the brand. And this hopefully will continue. I mean, uh, to me, it would be a success if they can at least maintain 900,000 to 1 million viewers per week. Regardless whether they beat Monday Night Raw in the key demo or not, that would be monumental for all elite wrestling. So once again, I kind of stumbled a little bit there reading this. But once again, let me let me just sum it up. All Out is already the highest grossing AEW pay-per-view they ever had. And, and I mean, it's one of the highest grossing pay-per-views in a while for wrestling, period. You know, obviously WWE has been running their shows on the network now or on Peacock. Um, for a while uh, but even before they jumped to the network and stuff they seldom did these numbers i mean of course the big ones like wrestlemania and and the rumble and SummerSlam. but other than that their run their run-of-the-mill pay-per-views never did these kind of numbers not as not consistently so these are big numbers and then to top it off after all out they beat monday night raw in the key demo scoring a 1.3 million television rating you want to talk about full steam ahead? I mean, AEW right now, they have a lot to be excited about. Tony Khan with that big grin on his face in the in the post-show uh, media scrums. He has every right to be smiling from ear to ear when you see these news. What can I say, man? It's an exciting time to be a professional wrestling fan. And um, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. And if you're wondering how long Brian Danielson will stay with AEW, according to Dave Meltzer, Danielson signed a three-year deal with AEW. And if this is indeed the case, Brian Danielson's contract is set to run through to summer of 2025 when he will be 44 years of age. Brian decided to sign with AEW because he felt like going there would be more beneficial to the wrestling business as a whole. What can I say? Brian Brian Danielson loves this business, man. He loves professional wrestling. And you, if you listen to the All Out Media Scrum after the, the after the event transpired, 
you would notice uh, some interesting quotes from Brian where he talked about that, hey, I love WWE. Unlike many people who have came to this place, I'm actually one of the few who really loved the company. And he's, he said he loves Vince McMahon. He loves Vince McMahon. He loves WWE. He was happy there. He had no issues. He didn't leave, you know, um, he didn't have a falling out. He didn't burn any bridges. At least I don't think he did. He didn't leave on bad terms. He literally left WWE just because he felt like coming to AEW would be better for the wrestling business. Never mind what he personally, obviously his family works there. His wife works at a, at WWE. His father-in-law works at WWE. I mean, he had more reasons than not to stay in WWE. But as he said, he felt like going to AEW would be beneficial to the wrestling business as a whole. You want to talk about making sacrifices. Um, you, you know, this takes the whole bakery right here. You know, Brian, he, he has a passion and a love for professional wrestling that you seldom ever see in anybody, in any talent, in any fan. Um, you know, that's... Um, <clears throat> it, it is going to be beneficial to the wrestling business. How can it not? He's, he's helping this young upstart promotion... And boy, has he. If, if the numbers are any indication, I mean, come on. All out, the highest grossing pay-per-view. I mean, granted, his, his appearance was not advertised. This was mainly CM Punk's debut match, I'm pretty sure, which, was, which is what sold the pay-per-view. But then the following, the following episode of Dynamite, the Fallout episode to that pay-per-view, everyone knew Brian was going to show up. That episode beats Raw in the key demo. That tells you all you need to know. You know what I mean? That tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Brian Danielson, he loves this business and he is also loved by the fans. The adoration, second to none, with the yes chance. And he is a great wrestler. I'll tell you right now, Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. I can't stop talking about that match. I sound like a robot. I sound like a broken record. You're going to be hearing that a lot um, in, the, in the next coming weeks. For these highlight reel episodes. I've got some video game news for you. If you're interested. WWE 2K22 is reportedly set to feature the grand return of GM mode. Um, which is much to my delight. That's what That was always my favorite mode in, in SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. My favorite wrestling game incidentally of all time. Supposedly the developers of the series wanted the mode back just as much as the fans like myself. One source said, quote-unquote, it was a top priority. The fans clearly wanted it, and the team knew that they they had the ammo to get it approved and in. Another source would say, quote-unquote, it's going to become the most played mode in the game. I can say that with certainty, the mode will sell this game. More information regarding GM mode and other in-game features will be revealed this January by 2K Games. I'm excited. I'm hyped, man. My body is ready. <clears throat> I can't wait for the... I'll tell you what. 2022 could be the year of, of wrestling video games. You know what I'm saying? Like back, like yesteryear when WCW NWO Revenge was out. Um, and then No Mercy. And 
then the SmackDown games and the Day of Reckoning games. And you know what I mean? That's what I miss. I miss those eras so much when we had all of these great games at our fingertips. But think about this for a second. 2022, next year, AEW official video game is slated for release. And it's there ain't no telling when. Um, so far, it's kept under wraps. We don't know when. But it's going to happen in 2022. Um, at least that's the report so far. Are indicating that the AEW wrestling game will indeed release next year. Of course, it has been confirmed as far as WWE 2K22. The official release date is at some in March. Um, I don't know the specific day, but it is going to be in March. Um, they've been very quiet about this game. Now, we know the huge... Oh, dumpster fire that was 2K20. Holy shit. I'm pretty sure that game started COVID. It was that bad. But, you know, 2K22, they've been working on it now for two years. So there's no excuse this time. It's put up or shut up. And it should be a good game. I'm actually... I've been hearing a lot of, like, inside sources say that... That it is actually quite a good game. That testers of the game have been giving it rave reviews. Saying that it is, it's actually very fun to play. And it's going to be like a love letter to professional wrestling. Now, of course, take that with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? That could be them just blowing smoke. You know what I mean? They're not going to say nothing bad. These these quote-unquote inside sources, right? They're not going to be like, Oh, now, guys, this is, this is a shitty game once again. <laughs> I've been playing it. I'm tired of it. Yeah, man. I cannot wait. Finally, Al Snow is in the news. Y'all remember Al Snow? What does everybody want? Yeah, that was... He had a weird gimmick, man, with the freaking... <laughs> with the doll's head. Um, yeah, that's, that's the Attitude Era for you right there. Um, nonetheless, Al Snow is in the news this week for being a real-life hero. Snow was at the Santa Rosa Beach in Dustin, Florida on Thursday when he heard a child yelling and screaming while he was in the water. According to TMZ Sports, Al Snow noticed the little boy being hit by waves while a rough current was pulling him away. Snow would jump into the ocean and pull the young boy to safety. Snow would see a lifeguard, but he was much too far. Uh, she was much too far, rather. And so he knew that she would not be able to make it on time to rescue the child. And thus, his instincts kicked in. He saved the day. The child is now back home and everything is fine. He saved the day, man. And, you know, incidentally, and I, I hate to bring this up, but this is relevant to this story it, that's what killed Shad Gaspard, yo. It was a riptide that killed Shad Gaspard last year. I, I covered it on this on this podcast. Um, and <clears throat> so you know, it's it's there is absolutely no doubt that if Al Snow was not there, this story would probably not have a happy ending. You know what I mean? Now this this would not be uh. A happy ending kind of story, let's just say. So, props to Al Snow, man. You know, Al Snow, back in the day, I remember him in, um, I want to say, what was it? Who did he tag with? I, I could have sworn Al Snow was in a tag team as well. May, or maybe I'm tripping. I don't know. 
um, El Snow, he was doing the hardcore stuff for a little while. Um, and I remember him like at WrestleMania 2000 uh, having some embarrassing segment with a guy dressed in a giant cheese, a block of cheese costume. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Like this guy's a hero and I'm I'm talking about this stupid shit. I'm tired, man. Nah, but El Snow, I always knew that he had an interesting character about him. I, I obviously, WWF didn't really utilize him to his full potential, I suppose. Um, last I heard of El Snow, he was running um, Ohio Valley Wrestling, the new iteration of it, of OVW which used to be the long-standing developmental territory for the WWE in the mid-2000s. So I don't know what El Snow is up to today. I'm assuming he's still doing that. He's still like a booker, uh, a promoter for OVW. Uh, but nonetheless, major props to El Snow. And I'm so happy that he saved this child's life. Um, and yeah, man, there you have it. Let's get to the Wrestler of the Week. Brian Pillman, born May 22, 1962, from Cincinnati, Ohio, stands at 6 feet even. He weighs 227 pounds, trained by Stu Hart at the world-famous Hart Dungeon. The great Brian Pillman was born to a Welsh mother whom raised him along with three sisters named Angie, Linda, and Susan, as well as his one brother named Phil. At just three months old, Brian Pillman's father passed away due to a heart attack. Before even reaching age three, young Brian Pillman developed multiple throat polyps, prompting over 35 operations. He spent a large portion of his early childhood in a hospital, only able to come home for Christmas. Once Brian began attending public schooling, he would go on to play many sports, including basketball, football, and hockey. But he was often made fun of for having a raspy voice, which is the result of the many surgical procedures he had done which damaged his vocal cords. This would prompt Brian to learn how to box. Pillman would go on to play college football and even have a small stint in the NFL. He would, however, end his football career playing in the Canadian Football League with the Calgary Stampeders. It would then be apropos that he would begin training in the world-famous Hart Dungeon under the tutelage of legendary Stu Hart, where he would then make his pro wrestling debut in Hart's wrestling promotion, Stampede Wrestling. He was a natural. In such short succession, he would form a tag team with Bruce Hart, known as Bad Company. They would win the Stampede Wrestling International Tag Team Championship. One year later, Pillman would depart from Stampede Wrestling and have stints in Memphis Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, NWA, as well as WCW, where he made a name for himself as Flying Brian due to his athletic ability. In fact, he was one of the first American wrestlers, along with the beautiful Bobby Eaton, to incorporate a variety of Mexican Lucha Libre-style moves into his arsenal. Pillman would become an NWA United States Tag Team Champion. He would also hold the short-lived WCW Light Heavyweight Championship on two occasions, one of which he feuded with one Jushin Thunder Liger of Hiroshima, Japan. His biggest run in WCW, however, would come when he formed a tag team with a man by the name of Stunning Steve Austin. 
you may know him as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Together, they forged the Hollywood Blondes, and they quickly would win the tag team championships from Steamboat and Douglas. They would even engage in a rivalry with legendary Four Horsemen stablemates Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, whom they would drop the titles to at Clash of Champions 24. In the end, the Hollywood Blondes would split up in what was a baffling decision since they were a very hot act for World Championship Wrestling. On September 4th of 1995, Brian Pillman would have the honor of wrestling the very first match on the first inaugural episode of WCW Monday Nitro, where he defeated old rival Jushin Thunder Liger. He would then become a part of the newest incarnation of the Four Horsemen alongside Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, and Chris Benoit. Toward the end of 1995, however, Brian Pillman would develop his notorious loose cannon gimmick, which was that of a madman of sorts with unpredictable behavior. Even his horsemen stablemates began to grow wary of his behavior, oftentimes being unable to keep their pal in check, often blurring the lines between fact and fiction, which was unprecedented at the time. It was during a match with Eddie Guerrero where Brian Pillman would famously, infamously, grab legendary commentator Bobby Heenan by the collar, who incidentally had a history of neck problems, which caused Bobby Heenan to shout, what the fuck are you doing, live on national television. At WCW Super Brawl 6, Brian Pillman would compete in an I-quit match with Kevin Sullivan, to which Pillman would lose and be fired the following day by WCW President Eric Bischoff. According to Eric Bischoff's autobiography, he would claim that the quote-unquote firing was actually planned by him and Brian Pillman himself. The idea was for Brian to continue to develop this interesting loose cannon character while in ECW. However, this plan would completely backfire as Brian Pillman would never return to WCW again. Brian Pillman would become the talk of all three major wrestling promotions, WCW, ECW, and of course, he would receive attention from the WWF. He would receive a WWF contract on June 10th, 1996, to which he signed, and quickly became embroiled in one of the hottest feuds at the time with one Stone Cold Steve Austin, you guessed it. It was on the November 4th, 1996 episode of Monday Night Raw, where Pillman took part in the infamous Pillman's Got a Gun angle, in which Brian would pull out a Colt 45 pistol and pointed it at an invading Stone Cold Steve Austin on live TV. In addition to saying he was going to quote-unquote kill that son of a bitch, he would also slip up and go off script saying quote-unquote, get out of the fucking way. And with this being on live TV, on the air, it was unable to be edited out. Thus, the WWF and Brian Pillman himself would eventually apologize for the entire angle. After WrestleMania 13, Brian Pillman would align himself with his real-life close friends whom he is loyal to, Bret and Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and Jim Neidhart as part of the Anti-American Hart Foundation. Who would he feud with? Well, none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course, yet again. 
The two former tag team partners had undying chemistry. This would culminate with the Hart Foundation defeating Team USA, consisting of Stone Cold Steve Austin, Goldust, Ken Shamrock, and the Legion of Doom in a 10-man tag match on July 6, 1997 at the In Your House 16 Canadian Stampede pay-per-view in Bret Hart's hometown of Calgary, where, of course, the supposed bad guys received all of the crowd adoration that night. Brian Pillman's final feud came against one Goldust. Ironically, Brian Pillman would challenge Goldust to a matchup at In Your House 17 Ground Zero, in which if Brian were to win the match, he'd secure the valet services of Marlena, and if he loses the match, he vowed to leave the WWF for the rest of his life. Pillman would go on to beat Goldust at the event, however, this did turn out to be his final pay-per-view appearance. On October 5th, 1997, Brian Pillman was found dead in his hotel room at 1.09 p.m. He was 35 years old, in the prime of his career, in the prime of his life. Brian Pillman's death was ruled a heart attack as per the autopsy report. However, it has since been revealed that this heart attack was caused by a previously undetected heart disease, the very same condition which led to his father's death three decades prior. The entire company of WWF would pay tribute to Brian Pillman the following night on Monday Night Raw. Flying Brian Pillman, he may have been a loose cannon on television, but outside the ring... He was as respected as his four horsemen and heart foundation peers with an uncanny natural athleticism as well as a tough-as-nails yet fun and loving demeanor. Flying Brian Pillman flew straight to the top and flew right into the hearts of wrestling fans all across the world. I want to thank you very much for joining me on this late episode of the Rampage Review Highlight Reel. It's your boy Lalo. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Lalo underscore THR. Don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to wash your ass. Tip your waitresses, y'all. I'm out you.